Well, it is deer season and I am hyped up. Coming at you hot today on the microphone. I have a killer guest lined up and this podcast is a good one. I think we get into some good topics and some fun times and a big deer dies. So 10 out of 10 on the podcast. But I uh, wanted to thank you guys for listening. Uh, appreciate the support we've seen on YouTube lately, putting out some videos on there. And then, of course, our Patreon guys that oh, kind of uh, help support our brand on a high level. We try to get back to those guys and put out like a public land, first year hunting it type series that's going on over there. And guys, deer season is here. Best of luck. Let's get into it. All right, welcome to the Whitetail Experience Podcast. This is your host, Byron Horton, and I am fired up today. I have on a friend, a guy that killed a stud here in Ohio, an early season killer, motivation for the rest of us, Jake Bush. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on again, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And a little plug here, Jake killed this buck out of a DS.5, and if you were looking to pick up one of those bad boys, we could save you a little cash. Uh, enter code WEXP at checkout. That is a 10 out of 10 plug, ladies and gentlemen. I've had a couple cups of cup coffee. I am fired up. So, Jake, how does it feel right now, man? It's, uh, it's surreal, dude. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's another year where I'm done hunting in the home state already. So, trying to figure out some plans and uh, maybe get some buddies on some deer and get the girlfriend on a deer and just kind of keep tabs on some of them at this point. But, yeah, it's, it's – uh, it's an awesome feeling being done. Yeah. And are we a week from your, uh, it was last week you were able to harvest a a buck and that's obviously going to be the the focal point of this podcast. We're going to tell that story. I'm going to ask questions and, and, and we'll dive head first in it, but are we a week removed? One more, one more day. One more day. uh, Yeah, it was Thursday. So one more day. Okay. Well, I think we're going to kick this off because you and I talk on a semi-regular basis, and going into season, um, you did send me video footage of a stud eight one night. But outside of that, I got the impression that you didn't have as high a caliber bucks as, as previous years. Uh, you're shaking your head. Yes. Let's talk, talk about that. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was a different year. You know, I moved east um, for people that didn't, that didn't know that I moved about an hour east last October. And this year I, I decided, you know, having a... Uh, a boy and everything, having a baby that I just didn't want to drive, you know, the hour and a half, two and a half for three hours to a lot of the spots that I had been targeting the last two years. So that, that played a big impact on my decisions to kind of scout closer to home and uh, just tear through these areas. So it was, it was a lot of new ground. And this year for me was really just trying to like, you know, get my feelers out there and see what's in the area. You know, do I have what, what, what age class do I have? What kind of antler size class can I find? And uh, uh, for the most part, I would say that there was a, you know, 10, 15, 20 inch difference on average on a lot of the bucks that I was finding in these areas, at least the, you know, like the primary buck of that area. It, it seemed like there was definitely a difference. It was much more difficult to get on big deer. Um, you know, I found, I found some good sheds this winter in these areas. I found a couple different sets of sheds that were high fifties, uh, low to mid sixties even. So I had, a, I had some pretty high hopes going into the scouting season and then into trail cameras. And it just didn't play out the way that I was hoping it would for the most part. And, you know, it's still, it's still early. That's the thing is that's for an early season hunt. Um, around here, there's a lot more ag than, than what I'm used to. And 
I think one of the issues I'm having is a lot of those big bucks are actually still out on the ag fields that haven't got cut. So something that I was battling a little bit. Um, but yeah, going into season, you know, I was pulling those cameras throughout September. I, you know, I start out with my secondary cameras, the ones I care about the least. And I pull those like September one. Okay. And then as we move through the month, I'm getting into my prime cameras. And it took, you know, we talked and I had one more set of cameras to check and it took checking that set of cameras to get a couple pictures of a buck that I was really fired up about, you know, that buck I ended up killing. And uh, looking back on it now, I had him on camera. I just, I want to slow you down just a touch here. Um, so you had mentioned September one, you pull your, your first set of cameras. Is that kind of something you do then? Uh, when did you finish up and how many trips did it take? Like, I know you put on some serious, uh, boots to ground there in that early half of September. So our listeners, uh, they, they need to kind of know some of those details as far as, oh, uh, how long did it take and, and to, to get through all of them? Yeah. So I had, uh, I had seven prime locations that I had cameras in this year, you know, through scouting, through everything that we've talked about on a couple podcasts, I dialed into seven areas that I was really excited about, you know, scouted them hard, found a lot of antlers in them during shed season, put my cameras out. And uh, basically I had, you know, like, let's say my top two, and then I had my top five, and then I had a couple backup areas. So I checked the backup areas first. Um, and then I would move to like the top five areas. And then I finished out with that best spot. And the reason I did that is I, I really want that real time Intel, like a week and a half, two weeks before mm. going into season. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of sign opening up. You can find some good tracks in an area. You're going to have the most recent trail camera photos. And then the biggest thing for me with doing all that is where are the food sources right now? So, you know, you get in that mid-September and you start getting acorns falling down. And especially if you have like a windstorm or a rainstorm roll through. And uh, that's what helps me to like get on a lot of these bucks that I find that first couple of days of season is I know real time what's the best food source right now. Okay. You know, what's their primary? What's their secondary? I know where they're bedded and they're just going to come through and hit those oaks that I've been looking for. So same thing in this case, you know, it ended up being a white oak flat that was dropping acorns for really two weeks straight almost. It's been dropping acorns and just getting absolutely hammered. Um, so, yeah, so that's where I ended up getting that buck on camera. And I figured, you know, he's on, on a specific wind. He would be bedded in that hub and then he would leave that hub down an acorn flat to go to his destination food source for the night, which is almost a mile away. But I, I kind of figured if I could catch him on that pattern on the right day, that I would have a really good shot. And one of the big reasons that I, I went after him the day I did was on a northeast wind, I could not only access that spot, but he was bedded a lot closer to the that white oak flat and that big hub scrape. And so I figured, you know, my best chance of getting this deer would be a northeast wind, which is very rare. But that's what I'm going to wait for on this particular buck. Just so happened the day I got home from New York, it was a northeast wind, uh, and I, I went after it. Okay, was, so let, let, let me back you up. Did you have any velvet uh, photos, uh, summerish photos of this deer, or were they all in the August-September time frame? So it, it starts last November. So I put some cameras in this spot last November just to get some, like, seasonal inventory, basically. And I had one picture of him running through a funnel, like, November 17th. 
And he was, he might've been bigger last year. I'm pretty sure he was because he had more tines on his right side too. And uh, then in June this year, I had one picture of him, one velvet picture. And I didn't even know it was him until I was sitting around the house the other day going through my photos. Mm. And I knew it was a buck I would definitely kill at the time because he was, I mean, he already had like 10 inch G2s and he just had like a baseball bat for a G2. It almost looked like lots of mass. Okay. Um, and I could count at the time seven points on his left side in June. So I was like, man, this is a buck. That's definitely something. If he stays around, I will target. And, uh, and I didn't get him all summer. Actually, I might've got one blurry photo of him across that property. Like August, I remember getting one, just, you could tell it was a big, tall, high frame buck. Okay. But yeah. So just one of those, you, you know, it's a good one or a bigger deer and, and but yeah. you can't, you can't see details due to, uh, the, just the blurriness or, or, or if it's nighttime, sometimes you, you can't tell yeah, those, how those budget cams kind of get us every once in a while, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they did. but yeah, so I had a, I had a couple photos of them and I really knew that like, like a lot of these areas I'm anticipating that shift to happen, you know, like the first week of September, second week of September where, you know, I have two different types of spots. I have the spots where they stay all year. And then I have the spots where they're on like private ag and then they shift back into the acorns. So I, I knew this spot would heat up because of all the deer activity that I had last year. There's a ton of good sign in there. There's uh, I found a ton of good sheds in there. I knew that when those oaks started dropping, it would be a good spot. It was a matter of getting that to happen. And as soon as they started dropping, he was in there all the time. I mean, he completely switched and that was his bedroom and that was his playground. And he was there pretty much all the time. And now I really know that after pulling a couple cameras, after I kill him, like he was there, like I was. Okay. So that's interesting. So um, when did you kind of decide, okay, the season to open on a, on a, on a Saturday, did you know about him at this point? Uh, uh, okay. So you had had him in your last pool. And yep. he was, would you say semi-regular or just, he'd been through there more times than say like the summer where it, it seemed like once a month, if you yeah, were. I had him, I had him on that flat twice. Okay. Two times. And it was nighttime pictures. The one was like, actually I had him on the flat in the morning one time too. So maybe three different occasions, but it was two days. And I just, I knew I was like, well, you know, the days that I had him in there were on like a Southwest wind day. And he was bedded up over the other side of the ridge. So there's two different hubs in that ridge system. He was bedded up over the other side. I told myself, like, the way that that hub sets up, it's kind of, instead of facing east, it almost faces to the south. So the sea is different shaped. So if, if I get a north wind, he's going to be bedded about half the distance to that flat and the beds as normal. And okay. he should be there and he should dump down even sooner in the day. Like that was my thought process going into it, if that makes sense. Okay. So uh, off season, you had labeled the best beds in the area. You, we've, I, we've, yeah. we've discussed this a lot in, in some of the, the previous podcasts for anybody who's just catching this for the first time. I would look at a couple of Jake and I's conversations because um, I'm okay with saying this. I am, am, am a couple of years behind Jake. Jake is a very uh, dialed in bed type hunter, early season type hunter. And, and that's an area that I want to improve on myself. And so we, we kind of dial uh, the, the previous podcast, definitely dial in some of that, those techniques. So if you guys are interested in that, I would, I would relay uh, or, or replay some of those. So you had these marked 
sounds like you knew really uh, well from prior, um, you know, some of the, the, the cameras from last year, what was going on in this area during the season yep. and uh, didn't push the panic button, not getting a lot of stuff in the summer. And it's just like that September detail uh, probably put wind in your sail, probably gave you, you know, you, you know, oh, shoot, now I've got something to chase. I know that area. I know how it lays out and the oaks are there this year because sometimes oaks aren't there every year. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, and if you remember last year, I was really frustrated with myself about the way I timed my elk hunt because I didn't get back until a couple of days before whitetail season. And that in the podcast, I believe point. we talked about the fact I was like, I didn't have the two weeks of Intel that I've had over the past 10 years that make me successful the first couple of days because I was gone. So sure. not having that Intel hurt me big time. And, you know, yeah. So on the, on the flip side of that too, I had, uh, you know, we talked about locating the beds. I had roughly 30 beds located in that spot. And we'll circle back to that a little bit later of why that was important on my access route, mm. because it was, you know, I had like 30 wind-based beds marked, figured which bed he was going to be in, you know, in my head, I'm like, he'll be on in this bed on this Ridge, because for a North wind, we have the least amount of good bedding. So he's more, he's more dialed in on North bedding than any other bedding. And, uh, on the flip side, I was like, I'm going to walk right past his westerly bed, you know, for a westerly wind, I'm going to be within 100 yards of where he would normally bed for that win. But I don't care because he's not there right now. And I actually ended up bumping a deer off that bed. But I knew in the back of my head, it's not him. It's a satellite because he wouldn't put himself at that disadvantage on this wind day. Sure. You felt this guy, he, he knew what he was doing. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So I followed the Instagram story. You and I haven't talked much beyond that uh, on purpose because we wanted this conversation to be pretty natural. So you had mentioned, um, obviously you were out of town, uh, greatest, you know, thoughts, your guys way, uh, you had to deal with some family matters um, and, and miss the opener. Get back in. You said you knew this buck had daylighted, correct? Um, earlier in the week. Yes. Yeah. He had, he daylighted earlier in the week. And so I have quite a, I have like nine cameras in this spot, but I've also got up on top of the Ridge where I get service. I've got a cell cam on top of this Ridge. So that's a spot where I anticipate a shift between like a Southern bed and a Northern bed. Like if we ever get a wind shift day. So mm. I anticipate that shift in that spot just so happened that we had one of those shifts and he crossed through there. So now I've that got is him. wild. So I've got him in daylight in this. And I actually had that same camera light up throughout the summer on those shift days with different bucks. You know, I had like a good 10, I had a good 11 point in there, uh, really solid framed eight pointer, some good bucks that are making that shift. So that little bit of Intel was like, yeah, there's no doubt that he's still there. You know, did that play a, a huge impact in my, my kill on him? No, because I was going to target that spot regardless based on the polls a couple days before that. The early September detail. Yeah, now, yeah like um, that mid-September detail. Let me, let me ask a selfish question here. When you see those bucks uh, shifting with the wind shifts, is it an immediate, and maybe this is depending on the deer, just answer this the best you can, but is it like, okay, the wind's been blown out of the north somewhere around noon, it shifts to, to either a west or a southwest, you see those deer get up almost right away or is it generally within the next regular type movement of dawn dusk? 
So it, it's it's right away normally, but that also depends on the time of day that I get the wind shift I need. So okay. the best best case scenario for me would be like a 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. wind shift because that buck is bedded down for sure in a spot that the wind was in a certain, you know, say it was a westerly wind all morning. Mm-hmm. He's bedded for a westerly wind. And then when that, say, a north wind comes in or an east wind comes in, something completely different, that happens, if it happens between like 10 and 1, mm-hmm. I feel like he's like, man, I got, you know, another six hours delay here. I'm not going to lay at a disadvantage for six hours. I'm starting to get uncomfortable. I want to get out of here. But if that wind shift happens on the flip side at like three or 4 PM, he, he might, might deal just... with it for an hour or two. Sure. But would, so your, feel cam- like that would late... your camera light up then that night? Like he's like, Hey, that, that bed from that I was laying in at four or five o'clock wasn't working. I need to be in, in this hub system because I got a bed I like over there. Would you it see? Was, no, it's about, so normally if I get the wind switch, it's within the hour. Okay. So it's either all or nothing almost. Yes. It's almost, almost right it's... away or, or they kind of just, ride it yes. out and probably go business as usual. Yep. And so what I started doing on that, on those days was, uh, whether it's a mock scrape or I actually find a scrape in between the two bedding systems, if it's really like, if it's a thick area, I'll just put a camera on that scrape and I'm getting those bucks hitting the scrape in the summer at like noon because they're switching, you know, they're mm-hmm. headed that direction anyways. So he goes over and works at scrape real quick. And then he goes and beds down. Okay. It's, it's crazy how consistent that's been for me the last couple of years. Oh, that is, that is pretty cool. That is, is, is some, some, some food for thought. Uh, especially if you have that wind shift in, in the pre, like, let's call it before noon in the morning, it might push you to sit, uh, even early October, maybe you sit that morning, hunt out a little later, just, just in case that's, that's cool. I, I'm, I'm glad we, that somehow got brought up. Um, so let's, let's talk night of attack. You, you had mentioned, um, oh, you, you go to head in for the buck. You, you kind of talked about uh, a big looping type movement to get in there. Anything else you think we should know kind of day of, uh, going in on this thing? The, the big thing was just the wind direction, you know, going into it. I was, I got back to my house from New York at like 1245, one o'clock in the afternoon. And I remember checking the wind and I'm looking through it and I was like, you know what, it's going to be a Northeast wind, but it's actually going to switch over to an Easterly wind where if it would have been a North wind switching to like a Westerly wind, I would have stayed out of there. But I knew that going in, my wind was actually going to get better as I was accessing. You know, I, I planned on it being a three hour access to get in there. I knew, I knew I was going to be really close to the bedding. I was going to have to come in and literally come into the north of them and circle to the west, go all the way to the south and then come back. So making like a, almost like a fish hook motion, a J hook, I guess. That, that's I was my, J- yeah, I always say fish hook. Cause that's, I don't know. That kind yeah. of makes sense, but yeah. That's- yeah. But so basically I was J hooking the bucks that were bedded in there. And so what I wanted to make sure of is, you know, as the hours go on, am I still going to have a wind advantage and is the wind advantage going to be what I need it to be at that specific moment when I think I'll be at this point at this hour? Okay. Now, um, that particular day where weather can, I was just trying to look real quick and I couldn't find it, but were weather conditions average? Were they slightly cooler? Any sort of fronts or anything? No, it actually, it's, it, it had been, the only thing that was different about that day was the north wind. Um, we had a front roll through three or four days before then on the opener. Our opening, yeah. Our opening weather was, was pretty good. And, yeah. and actually 
anybody, all our listeners, or a lot of our listeners are here in the Buckeye State. We're staring at the forecast right now going, what the, what the heck's going oh, yeah. on? 80 degrees forecasted for what, like the next 10, 14 days? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like a lot of times the movement's better on those front days for sure. But even being like a three to four day stagnant weather situation, if you get, if you get close enough, I think that you're still in the game. And okay. that's, that was the ticket there. I was like, you know, if I get within that 80 to hundred yard threshold, I'm going to be right where I need to be on this buck. Okay. So you head in big fish hook, like uh, movement. You said you did kick a, a buck up. Um, any other deer sightings or, or, or pauses, maybe you come across fresh sign, anything else on this commute you think we should know? So, yeah, I mean, I, I, when I was accessing there, I, you know, I had to walk like the first mile and a quarter of that hike, I was just hauling ass. I mean, I'm flying down through there. Mm-hmm. And when I started slowing down at about that mile and a half mark, you know, I'm still probably, I'm, I'm a ways off and I'm still quite a ways away from where those deer are actually bedded, even though I'm making that circle. Um, there was, there were some really good oaks that had dropped. So there was a white oak tree that was just loaded on the ground and lots of good sign on it. Now the, you know, we always say hunt the hot sign, right? But you need to hunt the hot sign where the buck that you want to kill is. So this area holds a lot of bucks and there's no doubt in my mind, I probably could have sat right there and saw a buck that was making that hot sign. But I knew that the buck that I wanted that was making would be making the hot sign where I needed to be. Okay. If that makes sense. So I walked past a lot of good sign because I knew I had to get all the way back in the corner of that property. Yeah. And if you felt you knew where the bed was, that's, that's your tactic. You know, that hot sign, Oak flat hot sign to me is hit or miss. And and I'm currently hunting an Oak flat that the camera show hit or miss. Sometimes the bucks are there at midnight. Sometimes they're there at seven 30 in the morning. It, it just kind of, I, I, I think for, for the, the specific bed type hunter that you are, there's, there is a little bit of maybe you, you go to what your plan is, um, you know, based yeah, on too, exactly. And you know, that's a gamble too, because say that I get in there, I circle way around and there's no hot sign in there. And those oaks dried up three days ago. Well, I might've just walked by where that deer is actually at, you know, so it's a gamble but you have to be confident in what you're doing and in your setup and in your scouting and knowledge of, you know, uh, producing mast and everything else on, I think I got another couple days out of these Oaks, you know, or another couple weeks out of these Oaks. I think they're still going to be hot. I think they're the most secluded. And I think that the bedding sets up for them to be closest to this flat, Mm. as opposed to all other flats, you know, like putting all of those pieces together is what really, made me walk by that, that really good hot sign and just keep pushing further and further. Okay. And, uh, the other thing too, you know, I'm accessing in, I bumped that buck. I don't know if I already talked about this or not bumping that buck. Start. Yeah. 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 You said, uh, the, that you believed he was a satellite buck based on the fact he was in kind of a, Oh, a Westerly bed, if you will, not necessarily the kingpin bed is what I'm going to call it. Yeah. So, so the big thing out of that is to not get discouraged by bumping that deer. You know, you just have to believe in yourself and your scouting and your theory. You know, everybody has their own theory in their head about this stuff. You have to believe in your head that I know that that buck isn't the primary buck for these reasons. And I'm going to continue to stay confident, to stay cool and calm and just continue doing the path that I think I need to do. 
you know, where like, I know, I do know guys that bump that deer and he runs down the hub and their nights ruined. They're throwing their hands up. They're done. They ruined it. You know? And I would probably have hunted the first hot sign that you, you had talked about. Uh, if you thought it was really torn up me, I'm not the best bed hunter. I'm more of a, a scout your way in. And, and so full disclosure, I probably do hunt the, the, the those first oaks just based on my skill set. So let me ask this, uh, when you had mentioned this was your first hunt of the year, um, I, so, so I don't know if you caught this, but team white to experience had a handful of debacles opening day. Um, <laughs> yeah, I did and, and you know what? I've talked to a few other guys that really got a kick out of the video because um, I feel like when you're hanging and hunting, you really don't get your rhythm until like three or four hunts in maybe even five. Oh, I agree. And yeah. Cause like come the rut dude, like I, you could tie blindfolds around my eyes and I could climb up that tree, but like, Dude, early season, I've left jackets at the base. I, I literally, we started heading in on my hunt and I didn't have the strap for the tree stand. I had all my stick straps, but the true buckle, like I didn't yeah. have it. And I was like, oh, shoot. And, and you know, Zoe had one, but you know, that was, I, I went to climb the tree and I had uh, forgot to uh, get my lineman's belt out of the, the, the tree on, I think that was my second hunt of the year uh, going up. But, and I mess with stuff all the time in the backyard, but like, as far as, truly unpacking from a hunt assessing everything and going in to kill is a little bit different than just walking out back with a harness already on and going up and down the tree were, were you nervous about that aspect do you practice do you wish you practiced more after hunt number one talk to me a little bit about the the, the fumbling through uh, a hunt number one run and gun style so i do practice quite a bit leading up to season normally to be completely transparent i wait until september because like if I practice in July and then I don't touch it again, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, I've got to do it in September. So I practice a little bit, but not as much as I don't, as I should. I don't know if anybody actually does. No, um, there is no way. No. So, so the one thing I really try to do is leave myself enough time to take my time to get up the tree. The last thing I want to do is get to the tree and be like, man, if I'm not set up in 20 minutes, I'm going to have start coming down off this bedding system and I'm going to get busted or I'm going to make noise. You know, I'm going to do something that's not right. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really just trying to go as slow as I can. And I make a ton of mistakes the first couple of days and it frustrates me. And, uh, but yeah, like even this one, you know, I get, I get out there and I've got the new XOP, uh, stick holsters that they have, you know, mm -hmm. those holsters for the side and they're, they're awesome. And so I've been practicing with them. Well, little things like I got in my truck and I just, I don't, I don't have them strapped onto my saddle. I just have them clipped through the Molly loops, which are kind of baggy. So I sit down in my truck and I pop one off without knowing it. So I get out there and I go to put my sticks on. I put my right one in, I put my left one in, there's nothing to put it in. And I See, was like, oh. I, I, I'm glad we're having this conversation. This feels like more real world at this point because yeah. here i i had all these chili dips and i'm glad jake bush killed a giant and had some chili dips along oh, the way a lot of them man uh so so that one and i ended up carrying that stick up the tree in my mouth i'm holding on to it with my teeth yeah that's and, what you uh, gotta do yeah you gotta do what you gotta do and uh oh the other thing too i just got a shipment in from this guy with under armor sent me some stuff he's like hey i want you to try out a pair of boots right so i got these boots in and they're the ones that twist lock to like tighten up with the it's like a button that twists. Okay. So I'm walking in and those damn things had to have popped out of the, <laughs> like 15 times. So I'm walking around with, uh, with loose boots and I tighten them up and I realized I was doing something wrong. Now I understand how to use them the right way, but 
Sure. Even little things like, uh, you know, I'm used to, I'm used to being in my boots. I wear all the time. These ones popped when I would make a certain movement. Like if I was like in that stalking mode and I'm kind of like kneeling down and crawling through brush, okay, they'd pop a little bit and make a little noise and it was driving me crazy. Uh. And so, you know, just like the real world, little things that happen on a mobile hunt, you can't really even prepare for unless you get ready at your house, drive somewhere, pack everything up, go out for a hunt in like July to just practice. Yeah. You know, I, no... I even said if I dressed like I was going for a hunt and like packed my bag, packed everything, bow in hand, tow rope, the whole nine, and just went and hunted a tree in my backyard, for example, like I would have, I would have had like, four or five solutions for a couple little things that I've tweaked now. Um, Heck, I'm still actually tweaking stuff. I remembered I got to put a uh, Luminoc on my arrow. You know, I still just have my, uh, um, I've shot in the summer with them or whatever, but like, I was like, I don't have Luminocs on all my arrows right now. And last year that cost me on on, on the buck where, where uh, uh, I didn't have quite the focus or whatever and didn't, didn't know where the arrow hit that deer. And if I'd had a lighter knock, I would have known that, but you know, I'm here. It is October six. I still got stuff that I'm I'm fine tuning and tweaking because I, I've only hunted I think three or four times now. Oh so, yeah. So I'm glad we got into this discussion. That was a personal question. So let's uh, let's lay the scene out. You've got to the tree. Time to ascend. We've talked about the chili dips. Um, go ahead and lay it out. How how the night unfolded. So I'm gonna I'm gonna step back just a little bit before I get to the tree because I feel like this is one of the important things on absolutely accessing this spot. So you know I I did this access. I really believed in my my theory on where this buck would be and where he would come down. And I'm working basically around this piece of public. And I do a big circle. I come back and I had to wade across the pond a little bit. And I get up on a ridge. And I remember telling myself in the spring, you need to sit on this ridge. And there's, there's two white oak flats, right? There's one down in the bottom and there's one about halfway up the ridge, but it's really wide open. And I'm, I I don't want to have to hunt that, that one spot because I feel like the chance for blowing that deer out of his bed on a Northeast wind is terrible. It might not even be possible to kill him there. So I get up on this little sub ridge, like a little finger, and I just sit down and I gave myself like 20 minutes to sit there and I'm listening for acorns dropping. And as I'm listening, I start looking on the flat that I wanted to hunt and there's squirrels everywhere. They're fighting over these acorns and there's acorns dropping all over the place. You know, they're clunking off the tree branches and falling, hitting the ground. And so that was like the one thing where being patient before I got down into the thick of it to kind of pick my tree, I feel was very important. And I remember sitting there and I was like, okay, wherever I hear the furthest acorns dropping and hitting branches is where I need to be able to shoot to from that direction. So listen, 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 acorns dropped all the way at the front of that finger. I mean, at the top of the finger. So I was like, well, it's going to be close. It's going to be sketchy, but I have to be able to shoot that spot. If I can't, he could come and and lay up on that Oak tree and I might not get a shot 50 yards away. Mm -hmm. I might be sitting here watching him for an hour and I'm not going to let that happen. So I ended up getting to that tree. You know, I crawled up, got to the tree at this point, I'm looking through the trees up on and I know the briar patch that he's bedded in. I mean, I'm looking r- basically at the tree that he's bedded under. I know that bed's right there. I remember laying in it. I remember what I could see. Technically, if I move too fast, he could probably see me if I'm on the front side of the tree I set up on. Okay. So I set up on the back side of the tree. You know, I climb the back side of the tree real slow so he can't see me. If anything, he sees like my elbows and it looks like a squirrel probably. 
Okay. So finally get up the tree. I get set up. Do you have a distance uh, roughly just to, to paint the picture for the listeners? I didn't range it. I would say between 80 and 100, probably okay. 85. That's, that's perfect. Yep. So not far. I mean, not far at all. And uh, <clears throat> so I get set up. I'm on the backside of the tree. I'm using my saddle and using the DS5 as a platform because I just didn't want to have to turn over to the front side of the tree. So I get set up to where I would have just basically if you picture yourself facing the tree, I've got my bow actually hung on a hanger. Uh, one of the, like the strap hangers mm -hmm. right to my left. So all I have to do is reach out. I've got my camera arm underneath my bow pointed directly at the hub scrape. I mean, it just so happened that that last white Oak tree is where the hub scrapes at. So I and got, it's got branches low there. enough to that, that gives them that licking branch and stuff. Well, well, we'll get into the licking branch. It's kind of a different situation. Okay. I've never seen it before and it's cool. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. So I, you know, I do the manual focus on the scrape. I'm like, I'm not messing around. I'm not putting in auto because there's tree branches like I've done before. You've probably done it a couple of times. Yeah. So I did the Heath Cisco and put it in manual. So I didn't have to deal with it. Like he always, like he taught me this year. And, uh, and so I'm set up, I'm sitting there and I'm kind of getting ready and everything. And it's early. And I look over and I see like a brown blob coming around the cut. So basically you have fingers and at the top, it's like your little typical hogs back and they walk around them to get to each individual finger. So he gets the, or it was actually a doe, but I see a brown blob and come around as three does. And I'm thinking, oh no, like this is worst case scenario right now. I'm going to have these does at four yards. Mm. So I'm, I'm hugging this tree and, you know, I'm kind of twisted a little weird and uh, they come out and they, they go right to the scrape. The one hits the scrape and does her thing and they start feeding on those acorns right in front of me and i'm just praying that they don't look up sure enough the big old nanny doe looks right at me i mean directly at me and uh she knows i'm there you know she starts stomping at me a little bit she works around the other side of the tree she's stomping stomping and she just won't go away for like i don't know probably 20 minutes finally i gave her a little flinch and she just bolted down the hill, believe it or not, never snorted at me, oh, never snorted, nice. which right. never happens. Right. But I, I was like, I got to get this doe out of here. She's good. That's going to be what ruins my hunts this damn doe. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, at that point, I take a deep breath and I try to relax because, man, I'm so you know how it is. You're trying not to move and you're tense and you're trying not to really breathe or even open your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. When and, them uh, does get around, uh, the, 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 the squinty eyes. <laughs> Oh, it's terrible. And that just so happened. This is another good point to make, I guess, you know, my setup is now based on at first it was a Northeast wind, but now the wind is straight out of the East. So I'm bulletproof to that flat. So she's trying to smell me and she doesn't stand a chance of smelling me unless she goes through that pond I was telling you about. Okay. So, so I'm, I'm pretty bulletproof. Things are working pretty good. And, uh, they disappear and they're kind of just like working around on the other Oak flats hillside. And then I heard a stick crack and I looked to my left and sure enough, another big brown blob coming. But this time I see big white rack. I mean, he's like a big, you know, white rack and I could see kickers off the G2s. And I'm like, it's him. He's yeah. coming right down the pipe right now. So, so let me ask this. Um, did these does came in kind of early? Did you did you have time to like kind of glass that that green? Uh, you said there's a tree there next to the bed Were you kind of like, I don't know, trying to peek and see if you could see antlers or something. So uh, I was trying to, yeah. And then those does screwed me up for like a half hour. So I just really, I just locked out of everything I was doing, but yeah, the whole time I'm really trying to keep an eye on that briar patch so I could see the briar patch. And then I lose them through the cover for like, 
it'd be another 40 yards or 50 yards maybe. Mm. And then he makes the circle and then he's coming right down the pipe. Okay. And uh, so this whole time, you know, I was looking up there and then the does got me kind of shifted over to them. And as soon as they were working off, I'm still kind of looking at them because I can see the deer on the hillside. And I was like, all right, I want to verify that he didn't go that way. That would suck. And sure enough, like I said, turnover, he's coming and he comes, I mean, right down the pipe, literally like if you couldn't write it up better than he just came right through it. And I've got, you know, I'm like 18 feet up in the stand, a ton of undergrowth where he doesn't stand a chance of seeing me right where I'm at. The, when he can see me is when I shoot him. Like it was, it's almost bulletproof. So I see him make the turn and I hit the record button on my camera and I just draw back immediately. I mean, I'm drawn back already and he comes down and of course he goes right to that scrape, right? That's what they do. They go right to the scrape and uh, the, he starts working the licking branch. So the licking branch in this spot is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. It's a sapling right on the front side of the tree, but it broke off. It's like twit. Maybe it even got twisted off at one point, but it's only like three feet tall and it's splayed out on the top of it. Okay. But it's, it's still alive. So it's just like a stick sticking out of the ground and they chew on the top of that thing. They rub their, you can see him in the video, rubbing his glands on it and chewing on it. And it's a, it's a, I don't, a three foot tall stick sticking out of the ground. That's a licking branch. It's not an overhanging licking branch. That's pretty wild. It's crazy. It's like the weirdest thing I've ever seen. So he's working that thing and I'm at full draw still, you know, sitting there just at, at this point, I'm starting to shake a little bit. I'm like, all right, I, this, this thing needs to take a couple of steps. And I remember telling myself he's quartering two. I'm shooting a, uh, you know, heavy arrow, hundred grain, iron wheel, broadhead. I can blow it through the shoulder. No problem. Like, I'm not worried about that. It's going to be like a 12 yard shot, mm -hmm. but I just want to make sure he has his right leg forward when I shoot. Okay. So he starts walking. He, he takes the first step away from the scrape and it's a left foot. And so I'm still waiting, still waiting. And then he finally takes that right foot step and I switch to a thumb style this year. And I just kind of pull through real quick. Like I almost, I kind of triggered it, I guess. So pull through and it, I mean, right at the, right at the back of the shoulder with that foot forward, it hit him and just smoked him. He kicked real hard and he starts running. And that's when I really got to see my camera, my, the, the camera pictures that I have of him do not do justice whatsoever throughout the year. Like I was like, Holy, this thing is framed out way bigger than I expected. You know, I figured he was like high fifties or sixties and he's 10 or 15 inches bigger than that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So Keep he going. runs off and he uh, jumps and on both sides of this flat, it's just like muck. It's almost like a little thin strip of just quicksand. And he jumps into that and it goes up to like his, his chest pretty much all his legs disappear. And he really struggled even getting out of that. I thought he was just going to post hole and be stuck there, but uh, he ran probably 35 yards total and did the exact same thing as the buck last year. He got up on the hillside and just tipped over backwards and slid right back down. And I just lost it, man. Do you think in those hills, if they're hit hard, it's it's difficult to to go uphill with with uh, either lack of lungs or lack of heart? Just that the they can't traverse it as easily or, or go as far. It's it's got to be, man, because like when I used to hunt more farm country back home, I never had a, di a deer die within forty yards with a bow. They'd always run like 60, 70 yards, maybe even eighty yards. Mm -hmm. And in the hills, for some reason. I don't know if it's luck or what, but my deer always try to run uphill. The last three have tried to run uphill 
and they just don't have anything in the tank. They just, as soon as they go to put any sort of pressure out, like on their body, it just, they're done. Do they, are they running towards the bed they left by yes. chance? Yes. I've, I've, I've seen that. I think I've, I, I've, I've seen that a time or two um, gun hunting years ago and never put it together. Yeah. Yeah. They go, uh, they go, they want to go right back home to Normally, where it's safe. Yeah. And I, I've never had one spin and run back the way it came, but they do like a really fast circle. You know, they'll like do like a 40 yard circle to try to get back to that direction. Yeah. Now the buck I hit last year and I'm still not a hundred percent sure he ran a good ways and he did a down up. Um, and, and, and I, I'm still not a hundred percent sure, but I think he actually landed almost back in his bed. That's crazy. Because it was a flatter spot. It made sense based on the wind that, uh, that, that I shot him on. But, but yeah, so back to this. So you saw him, you, I think you called me from the stand that you knew. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was, I watched him die and I called a couple people and then you were like third on the list. I called you almost right away. Yeah, man, that had to be, I went, when you can see him fall, oh. it's special. It makes it so much better because that's like one, you know, you're fired up when you see him fall, then you don't have that little bit of doubt in the back of your head. You're just, they're dead. And it, it really comes out then, man, I was shaking. So that's, the hardest hunt of my life, the most emotional hunt of my life. You know, I was just going crazy in the tree stand. Oh yeah. Yeah. No doubt there. Um, so you make a few phone calls. Um, anything else I want to ask about the encounter? Uh, were you able to slow it down? Cause you've done this now you've punched a few tags here early season, but this hunt obviously meant a lot. Were you able to slow down that moment of truth, that final 10 seconds? Um, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was awesome. I mean, it was, I, I literally remember thinking about dad. I'm, I'm drawn back thinking about dad. I like it. It literally was, you know, I, I've had a lot of hunts where I get super fired up and this one was like this dialed in focused, slow motion. Like he's coming right down the pipe. And maybe it was the fact that it was the first hunt that I can ever imagine where if I would have drawn a line where I thought that deer was going to come and like just the way he was going to work, it would have been right on that line. Like, you know, you get in the tree and you envision what you think is going to happen. Sure. It's really rare when it works out a hundred percent accurate. Yeah. Yes. And so like maybe that had part, a lot to do with it where there was no question. I was like, if he's gonna, he, I'm, I'm shooting this deer at this point, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was just, it was crazy, man. It was so awesome. All right, I got to push pause and move recording studio locations so the wife can use the treadmill. Hold on. I got All right, now we're back. We got Mike's uh, queued up. So, Jake, talk to me about the recovery, walking up to this deer for the first time, and obviously the big endeavor of getting this deer out the woods. Oh, yeah. So, uh, made my phone calls to everybody, and I remember watching him die. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go find my arrow. So, you know, he was in the scrape. He started walking past the scrape. When I shot, the angle of my arrow was like directly towards the scrape. So I get down and <laughs> I'm, I'm looking in the scrape and I was like, man, there is my arrows not here. That's, that's kind of funky. Where the heck's my arrow at? Like it, the 12 yards should have blown through him. And, uh, I'm like, okay, well I'll just, you know, get on the blood and I'll just follow the blood trail anyways. And I'm like, man, there's no blood. Like I can't find a lick of blood on the steer. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll follow the leaves. And I followed him, you know, the full 35, 40 yards, whatever it was, never had a single drop of blood. So about halfway, you know, I'm kind of like, I saw him die, but I'm getting in my own head. I'm like, 
did I, did I see what I think I saw or what the heck's going on? And sure enough, you know, I get down on the bottom where he crossed and I look up and he's laying there and then I let loose again. I'm like, ah, I can't believe this thing is here going crazy. And, uh, walked up on a man. And I mean, just walking up on, on those deer like that, it just, he just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I start getting more excited and more excited and I'm shaking and, you know, doing the filming thing with my phone and the camera and, uh, walk up on him. And it was an awesome feeling, man. I mean, he's an unbelievable buck. Um, it really meant a lot. You know, that was the most special hunt I've ever had. And the fact that it turned out the way it did was something just I'll always be thankful for. Um, but yeah, so then, you know, I'm looking at this thing and on the, not only is he a giant as far as rack goes, but he's, I would say at least 50 pounds heavier than any deer I've ever killed. He was huge body. Yeah. Just unbelievable. Just a huge buck. And so I'm thinking, you know, I'm right now from the road, like probably a mile and three quarters, almost two miles. And it was two and a half mile loop getting in, but you know, I can, at this point I'm going to beeline. Yeah. So from the access that I had to take to get in here, I'm like two miles. I'm like, how am I getting this thing out of here? And, uh, I was like, well, you know, the only options really quartering them out. You know, we both talked about that. So got my tag out, filled out my tag. I made my phone call, went up the hill a little bit to get good service again, make a phone call and, uh, turn my tag in and everything. And mm -hmm. then I head out, I went and grabbed a couple buddies were nearby. So I grabbed them and I grabbed three or two packs. And then my, I left my DS five in there and, uh, go back in with them. And, you know, they're, acting excited but man we were going through some nasty it's like a it's like a it's like a sea of greenbrier mixed with oak trees it's the weirdest place i've ever hunted it's so thick it's unbelievable i mean I've yeah, got, sometimes the most direct path maybe uh is is worse yeah. to walk you know exactly and i mean i'm so cut up i'm still getting those little when greenbriers break off in your skin you get like the little splinters that come out like a week later mm -hmm. i mean i'm all tore up and stuff but uh yeah we got in there we quartered them out and just hiked out and i think we got out of the woods at like 1 a.m from yeah, a six o'clock hill yeah you called me 6 15 6 30 yeah like it wasn't it wasn't like oh it's like definitely gray light somebody shot a deer like honestly it, i i saw your name show up on my phone and it didn't hit me until i put it to my ear and then yeah, i was yeah. like wait a minute like he killed one. Like first I was like, Oh, Jake wants to talk, but it hit me and me and the boy are playing outside. Like it's full, like light, like, you know, and so, and the other thing too, is this deer, I, you, you killed the, the, the mega, uh, two years ago. I, I can't get over this deer's frame for, for those that oh, maybe didn't yeah. see through Instagram or whatever, it'll be the cover art for this episode, but it is, it is a cool looking deer. Yeah, he's he's framed out and he's got the Ohio mass. You know, since I moved here, I'm like, I want to shoot an Ohio buck, like the big frame, massy bucks that I see all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I've shot good bucks. They don't have that frame to them. And I finally got an Ohio frame buck. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was cool, man, for sure. Okay. And and packing them out is the way to go for sure. You, oh, you, yeah. You, you and I have done that a few times now. I, I, the, those States where it's not legal, the guy who wrote the law has never drug a 200 pound buck out the woods. It's almost, I'm, I mean, I'm, I would still be out there dragging that thing, man. Like there's, there is no, cause you can't get a, you can't get one of those, uh, little wheeled wagon things back there. Like the right. deer carts, 
You can't. It's too the green briar would just wad that thing up. A sled wouldn't work because of that green briar. Like dragging them out would be the same issue, right? You're dragging a I don't know, well over 200 pound deer through this green briar uphill, like two yeah. miles. It's it's all almost uphill the whole way. It's just it's not even reasonable. But yeah, quarter and a mile. I mean, once you it, it's it's different. Like it, it's nice to quarter mountain stuff, but yeah, it's kind of a mess. You know, it's right. like, you're trying to do it on the ground. You're getting leaves all over everything. Yeah. You know, like you have to do a lot of work when you get home to clean the meat up the right way. Yeah. Um, the, um, the black Ovis game bags, Dave and I bought for our Western trip. They have like a gutting type, uh, tarp, like a four by four, six by six tarpy type cloth in there. And that's, so, that's what I'm, I, I don't have one right now. I have the uh, Kafaro game bags. They didn't come with anything like that, but I'm definitely going to put one in there, man. I mean, I'm going to put like a small even, tarp even from the hardware store, something to just kind of keep some of that leaf matter off yeah. would be. And then stakes, take, take tent stakes with you too, because you're turning this deer back and forth over trying to get it, um, trying to get it quartered. If you stake that down, it would help a lot. Cause I've tried like the garbage bag thing. That doesn't work, man. It just wads up into a ball. Okay. So yeah, so I would take tent stakes and try to actually stake that thing down. Um, and then packing it out. I mean, we had the Kafaro pack, uh, Everly stock pack, and then I used my DS5 as my pack. And I would say that with the neck, the head, and the antlers on that deer, I mean, I had, and my sticks are on it too. I had a heavy pack. I mean, it was heavy coming out, and then the DS5 did fine. I mean, it was, it was perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I think if I ever um, killed Solo... I would, I would use my QU to like take a load and then take the DS5 a load and just inchworm my way out of the woods solo just, uh, and take my time. But, um, Jake, let's, uh, let's shift gears. What, what does the rest of the season look like for you? Uh, you talked to, I, I don't know if we pushed record for that conversation early, but like what, uh, any other additional uh, states you want to go hunt, um, time frame you may go for a travel hunt later in the, the, the month or, or November. Talk to me a little bit about that. So I've got a couple hunts planned. Um, but first I'm going to stay in Ohio and try to get the girlfriend to buck and try to get, I've got a couple buddies from the legends of the hunt crew that are going to be coming to town. And I'd really like to be able to get them on a good buck too. You know, I've got a lot of good bucks still patterned. Um, so that would be, that'd be ideal. And then I've got just a mega like a 160s buck at least 160s typical 10 point on public in new york that we located that is just they don't grow like that up there so i am i'm definitely gonna go chase him pretty hard yeah and uh and then i've got kansas for a rut hunt which is out of my wheelhouse you know that like i'm i'm not the rut guy at all i so that's gonna be a little different i've done a ton of scouting i've checked like within the units I'm going to, I've scouted every walk-in area at least three or four times online. I mean, I've just been hammering the e-scouting for that. And I think I got like a top five locations and then based on pressure, a top 10. And then I got like five or six backups. Um, so that should be a lot of fun. And then I'd like to dive, you know, if I get a little bit of time, I'd like to dive somewhere else too, whether it's a weekend Indiana hunt or maybe like the bow only West Virginia areas. It's only three hours from my house, maybe Kentucky, you know, I've got a lot of things. I'm just trying to find a way to balance it all right now. I've got a lot of time off this year and, uh, yeah, just trying to keep. Yeah. And the nice thing too, about if you, you help a couple buddies, you're still involved in those hunts. Um, if you take the girlfriend out, like that's, 
you're still getting out there and, and there's plenty to do. And then obviously you've got some big trips planned. It sounds like, and some potential weekend bounces back uh, into some neighboring States. So, so yeah. I, I, I'd venture to say the, the, the season is still young for you. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, like uh, I've had, I've helped people get some deer before and I've been in the tree with them. And honestly, man, that is almost more exciting when you're, when you're watching somebody else kill one, than killing one yourself, at least for me, like I love that experience and, you know, I'll be filming all those this year too. So when they come to town, I'm going to do my best to be out there with them and film them and go through the whole process. So yeah. It almost feels like a hunt still, you know what I mean? It is a hunt still. It and is. Still, it is. Yeah. So that, that'll be a blast. Um, should be a lot of fun. My brother will be down here late October and that's one I'm, I'm really excited for. Uh, my dad and brother were both going to come down this year and I was going to do my best to get them some bucks. So now that dad's gone, I'm going to get Georgie a buck. Like that one means a lot to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it should be a good season, man. I mean, it should be a lot of fun, a lot of time left. Awesome. Um, so, okay. Selfish question. I think this is a good way to end this podcast. Here it is. It is October 6th. We are looking at, oh, at least in Ohio, 10 days of warm weather, but what would be your, maybe this is a good two-parter. I'll, I'll, I'll answer it and then you answer, or you answer it first and then I'll, I'll give my two cents. But October 5th through the 20th, this middle part of October, what would you say would be key to getting it done, especially on public land here in the Buckeye State? So, so I think the important thing right now is to be as close to those areas that you guys scouted for betting as possible. You know, you're not going to get, especially with this warmer weather, you're not going to get a lot of movement. I would say you're going to want to be within a couple hundred yards, hundred yards of these prime bedding areas. And maybe you're not directly on a food source, like a primary or secondary food source, but maybe it's on the way to that food source. You know, I would, uh, I'd really push the limits and try to get as close as possible. And then, you know, obviously we get out of this time frame the next 10 to 15 days and it's like scrape week scrape weeks totally different and that's that's when you really start getting into those deer moving a lot and that's when it's a lot of fun but yeah the next next 15 days 10 days i would be really pushing that proximity to bedding yeah I, honestly that's kind of uh, that is my tactic but i i think i will spend a decent amount of time with the warmer conditions scouting yeah kind of preparing myself i've never killed a buck in the middle part of october um, the earliest is the 20th for myself. So, so I'm not going to sit here and preach, but my big thing that I think I've done successfully to, to kill deer end of October has been scouting the 10th through the 20th. Yes. So preparing for that cold front that drives everyone crazy on Facebook, I think is the, my biggest tactic, um, maybe for a guy that doesn't have uh, the dialed in bed hunting that yourself has, or maybe a guy that doesn't know what's going on in the timber right now. But I think that's, that's, that's my go-to um, Jake, I really appreciate you coming on today and, and laying down a great podcast and, and somebody, um, you know, that, that, that got it done here early season. And we're excited to see where your season goes from here. Yeah. I appreciate you having me on, man. And, uh, good luck. You know, I'll be right there following along. That's right. Me. Yeah. Yeah. Jake's been, uh, uh, giving me his thoughts and input on, on a buck I'm chasing. And, and so it should be interesting. So it'll happen. I, it was close the other day. Like I said, I pulled a card and, uh, he was in there at midnight and I was there at five and six in the morning. And for those that saw the Instagram story, I had two bucks hit that scrape within like two days of me seeing that card. And I was like, well, if this rain lets up, 
I was like, I'd be an idiot not to hunt here. So I ended up hunting on the ground. I didn't even have a stand with me that day in the truck. I just, I, I literally was like, oh shit. It's, uh, I was like, I, I, I think I should hunt this based on the fact that if this rain stops, either one of these two bucks might come in and try and lay claim to this thing. So, um, but yeah, the rest of the team's been out and everybody's been pushing hard, but, uh, it is a fun time to be out there. Hopefully this weather changes. That's the big thing I need right now. Oh yeah. Yep. Definitely. All right, Jake. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to close this guy out and uh, we'll be us for a second. Our man sounds good. Thanks.